What's up, World That's Good fam? Welcome back to the World That's Good podcast. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Y'all, I'm so stoked for today. We have an amazing guest on. Her name is Kelsey Grimm, and she has just written a super great book called Over It. Y'all, if you're watching on YouTube, look at how cool this book cover is. I, I told her before we started, I said, why have I never done a hot pink book? Why? I don't know. Well, Kelsey, you are uh, setting the tone in the book world, certainly, and for so many things in the mom world, all of it. And I'm so excited that you're on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. I appreciate it so much. Yes, I am stoked. So I was kind of telling you this before, but this book really is like asking your big sister all the questions that you want somebody so bad to tell you, but you don't have anybody to go to to talk about it. Like you go there. And so I can't wait to dive into it and start talking about some of that stuff later. But first, I have to ask you the question I ask everyone on this podcast. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? (laughs) Yes, I love that you do that, by the way. It's so cool. Um, and as I've listened to your podcast, I've, I've gleaned so much from hearing what other people are gleaning from other people. So this is a really yes. cool thing that you do. Um, so cool. That being said, I think probably the most helpful piece of advice I've ever been given, um, it's more of a quote than a piece of advice, but the cool. quote is, um, life becomes more meaningful when you realize that you never get to live the same moment twice. So, wow. What I love about that is it's just a reminder to live present, live in the moment. You will never get this exact moment again. It will never come around again. It won't get a redo. Um, So make the most of it. Like that's just, it's so, I feel like it's just a good, it's a good overall reminder to live. It's so good. I love that because I think that I wrote about this in a book I actually wrote called Live. And I wrote about how because life kind of just like happened to us, you know, and it happened for us, sometimes the temptation is like, you almost mm-hmm. look at it and you take advantage of the gift that it was. You're like, oh yeah, well, I just I, I just get to live today. I just have life. But when you actually think about like life is a gift and every moment is precious, and especially when you lose someone, that's when you realize like, wow, like every moment matters. Every moment counts. It really does help you live your life more. It helps you live it. I always say like a verb, like the action it's supposed to be lived in. You know, you start that's to right. not complain so much about the little moments with your with your kids, or not complain about the moments in traffic and be like okay look I have life I have breath like I can do this and so I love that quote I love that advice um so a lot of people have probably seen you with your husband Caleb singing on you know some social media platform I actually before here I like looked up like Kelsey and Caleb and there's just so many videos with just millions of views and so whenever y'all got together did y'all know like we're gonna sing together or did that just kind of happen because y'all both just have voices of angels Oh, well, that's a stretch, but that's very sweet. I appreciate it. Um, We kind of fell into it, to be honest. Like, it was just this organic thing. Like, when we met each other, I knew he was in a boy band, and at the time, I was in a girl band. And so, you know, we sang together just for fun, you know, to start. And then um, it kind of got real for us after we got married. And Mm -hmm. we started singing more, and then... um, We're kind of just praying about what the next step in our career was at that point. Um, and we hadn't really taken our duo seriously again, like up until that point. And then, um, that's when we kind of went, we pushed the ball further down the court with the worship stuff because we were like, this makes sense for who we are right. where we've been, the way we've grown up. And this means something to us. And so mm-hmm. when we started putting out the worship mashups, it just kind of, I mean, people really connected with it. And then it was yeah. the rest of history. They're beautiful. I love it so much. Um, you talked about actually in your book, there was this moment where you were always been musical, you know, and people kind of saw that in your life and had said that that was a gift. But there was a moment whenever a teacher of yours looked at you and was like, no, like this is what you were made to do. And then you go yeah. on to say that like one person's belief for you can kind of change the trajectory of your life. So talk yes. about that a little bit. And because I thought that was such a powerful story. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that our words carry weight and power. You know, we have the ability to speak life over people and to encourage people. And sometimes one conversation, like I don't even know that my teacher would remember that conversation. If I brought it up to him, maybe he would, but maybe he wouldn't. And that just goes to show that you never know the difference a conversation can have on a person's life. You know, I'll Mm -hmm. never forget 
where I was standing and what he said and the, the power and the empowerment that it gave me to hear him say that, you know, because like you said, I did, I grew up in a musical family. You know, my parents were both musical. My brothers are, are, were in music and are no longer, but it's just kind of been this thing that people knew us by for a long time. And so um, it was always something I was passionate about and loved doing. Like I don't, I, I could never imagine my life without singing. Um, but I don't think I ever thought of myself as having what it takes, you know, to do it for a career. I never saw myself mm-hmm. that way um, until that conversation. You know, I was like, maybe this could be something for me. Maybe I could mm-hmm. actually sing and, you know, what I have to offer and what I can bring to the table is enough. You know, maybe that's, yeah. maybe I could find a place here. And so it, it just kind of gave me the extra little push that I needed to start to believe in me too. You know, that's so cool. That is such an encouragement to people listening of like, you know, you could be on the receiving end and somebody believes in you and that's like your go, or you could be the person that's giving the word like, Hey, like Absolutely. I see this in you. That's funny that you mentioned that about that person not remembering maybe because I was with one of my best friends the other day and I was hearing her have a conversation with someone else about her leading worship. Cause she's a worship leader. And, um, the girl was like, Oh, you do that. And she was like, yeah, actually she's like, it wasn't until Sadie told me, she said one day, she's like, Lenny, you were made to worship that I realized like, this is what I want to do in my life. And to be honest, I don't really remember saying that. Like, I mean, I'm sure I did because I do believe she's made to worship and I do speak things like that over her, but I don't necessarily remember that moment, but it was so pivotal for her. And so that is such a reminder of what the word says that like our words carry the power of life and death. And we can speak something, a word of life that literally grows into someone's, you know, destiny. So that's so cool. Um, you mentioned a little bit about how you grew up like in music and everything like that, but something in the book you talk about is the way you grew up and the perspective you kind of had of Jesus. So kind of t- tell everyone like what your relationship with God was like growing up or kind of how you viewed Christianity as a whole. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up um, in a very small conservative evangelical Christian culture. I was um, the daughter of a pastor. And so if you, if you're listening to this and you grew up a pastor's kid, then, um, I don't really have to explain this kind of fishbowl effect, you know, that everybody's watching you and from every angle and every little thing you do and say, um, you know, is being observed kind of, you know, from a distance, but people, I kind of felt that pressure from a really young age. And I think Mm -hmm. I understood then as a very little girl okay, people need me to be this. And unfortunately, this for me meant perfect, or Mm -hmm. at the very least, it meant to appear perfect. Like even Mm -hmm. if there was stuff going on inside of me um, to suppress those things and to put on a tough exterior that I'm okay. And, you know, I, I can, I can do this. I can be who people need me to be. And while that pressure was never verbally placed on me. I think it was just kind of this unspoken understood thing that, you know, she's a pastor's kid and people have very real expectations of pastor's kids. And I I feel like that's why pastor's kids, oftentimes the stories that you hear, they do one of two things. They either fling the other way and they, you know, they go down a crazy, dark, destructive path, or, you know, they go on to become pastors themselves or they, you know, they become spiritual leaders and there's very little in between. I feel like at least in my experience and my talks with other kids who grew up similarly to the way that I did. And so the way that that kind of manifested the older that I got is that I understood people are always going to need me to be something mm-hmm. and I can be whatever that is. I And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what is going on on the inside. I can rise to the expectations that I know people have of me. Mm-hmm. And there, it was this constant inward battle of who I, I felt like I was inside and who I felt like people needed me to be. Wow. And so I, I maintained this for as long as I could, you know, I mean, through middle school and high school, I was always the good girl, mm-hmm. you know, the girl and everybody knew it. And I never strayed from, you know, what that looks like. And so and I want to I want to take a, a second here to just kind of delineate a couple of things. There is nothing wrong with being good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, we all want to be good intrinsically. 
But I think when being good becomes the one single most important thing, it becomes your entire identity right? rather than, you know, actually checking in with yourself and going, am I actually good? Yeah, that's like, good. am I actually, am I okay? Yeah. You know, do I know who I am as a person, as an individual, you know, that's when it becomes a really slippery slope. And so for me, that slippery slope met me face to face when I got to college. And it was kind of this first step out of the bubble I was raised in where I thought I would get a chance to kind of step into myself and find out what, like, who is Kelsey? Yeah. Who is she? Um, I've been told who she is my whole life and what she thinks and what she believes and who she, you know, believes herself to be, but who do I actually think I am? Yeah. And unfortunately I took the freedom, um, that I found for the first time in college and I looked in all the wrong places mm-hmm. for love and my identity and acceptance and confidence. And, and I found it in all the wrong places. Yeah. You know, I ultimately, because I went into college having no earthly idea of who I was and where my identity truly came from in Christ, I subjected myself to even more rising to the expectations of what everyone around me needed me to be. Mm. And that played out in a situation with a boy, yeah. you know, and it ended yeah. up being a very abusive relationship mm. and just a continuation of me bending to his will and wow. to what his desires were of me because I, I didn't know who I was going into that relationship. And, you know, Spring is a great time to start something new, right? So whether it's cleaning or a new hobby or a new audiobook, a good story is always a great way to start a new journey and Audible has all that you need. I come from a family of great storytellers, so I know Audible is the home of storytelling, which is where I want to be. Audible lets you enjoy all your favorite audio entertainment together in one app. There's always something new to discover or you can rediscover some of your old favorites. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks from every genre like bestseller, new releases, memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, business, and more. It is the destination for mind-blowing entertainment with selections of mystery and thrillers that will keep your heart racing. And with next listen recommendations, there's always something irresistible at your fingertips. Plus, members get full access to a huge and growing selection of included audiobooks and audible originals and even podcasts like, well, that's good. So you can download them or stream them anytime, anywhere. Audible members can also pick one title each month to keep from the entire catalog, which is some serious benefits, y'all. The newly included selection of titles makes your Audible membership even more valuable and gives you the chance to discover your next favorite thing. With thousands of titles available, you're definitely going to find something that you love all in one convenient app. So I know some of you are into, you know, thrillers, crime, mystery. And I got to be honest, that's not really been my thing. So I told Bella, okay, Bella, tell me what I could like listen to that wouldn't scare me, but I would like be into it. And she told me about this title called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And so I started it and John Luke loved it too. And so I'm just now on the cusp of it. And y'all, let me tell you, it is very entertaining. You do want to listen to see what happened next. So if y'all are into that, Audible is a great place to find those too. New members can try Audible now for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash Woe or just text Woe to 500 500. That's audible, A U D I B L E dot com slash Woe or text Woe to 500 500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. It was incredibly damaging. Wow. Um, what I believed about God at that time because what I had been taught about people around me and being watched and under this microscope is that everyone needed something from me or needed me to be something. So that was what my understanding of God was as well. God also, God loves me. I I was taught that, but God also surely needs something. Right. Like I can't just come as I am. First of all, what does that even mean? Do I even know who I am? And secondly, surely I'm not just already good enough for God. He needs me to be something too. And so that was the entire understanding that I had of him up to that point. And I, looking back, I'm sad for that girl who looked in the mirror and had no idea who was staring back at her. Wow. And the way that God viewed me then, if I could have only had the eyes to see, I think my life would have been very different. Yeah, you know, for sure. 
Well, I feel like so many of us have been where you're at as well. And you can look back and you can say, if only I had the eyes to see. So many things would have played out differently. But thank God, you know, we do now. And hopefully as we as we do, we can help other people kind of wake up in their own scenario where they're at. Because there, I know there are people listening right now that are like, wait, I thought the same. I'm, I'm actually currently thinking the same thing, that I have to be something for God or I'm not good enough yet for God. And so that's so um, good that you brought that up. Like I said, you, you touch on so many things that people are scared to touch on. And I think that because people are scared to touch on them, because the church doesn't talk about it, people just stay in it because they feel mm-hmm. like they just have to, or this is what it is, and they're alone, and they're they're hidden in it. And so you talk a lot about the damaging relationship that you were in, and it was damaging for so many reasons. You know, when you look back at that, did you know in the moment it was bad, or were you kind of blind to it even then? That's such a good question. Um, and actually, one I get asked a lot, like, how did that happen? How did it get to that point? And sometimes looking back, I ask myself to this day, the same question. Um, I think ultimately it was a slow fade. I think I made the first bad decision. You know what I mean? And the first bad decision was allowing myself to enter into a relationship with a man who had dark spots that I think even I saw early on. Like there were things that weren't right, but, um, I was living in the tension of wanting to maintain my goodness that I had always had as a child and as a a girl and as a teenager, and also simultaneously wanting so badly to explore what maybe not being good looks like. And I think there was a rebellious spirit in me, you know, um, that reared its really ugly head. And so when I entered into that relationship, I did see red flags, but ultimately what happened was it was a very slow fade. You know what I mean? Like it was, Of course, making small concessions here, small concessions there. And then before I knew it, you know, all this time had passed and I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm not I I don't even I don't know who I am anymore. I I am a product of this man's desires and standards and the things that he needs me to be. That is the sum of my existence, you know, and. I think it all really dates back to what I learned about myself as a child. And even though those messages were never spoken to me and I, and truly the people who influenced me were good people doing the best that they, what I heard, you know, and what I absorbed about just life in that space was that, um, I could be loved by God, but I had to be these certain things, you know, and yeah. the reality is for those of you listening to this, that didn't grow up that way, um, you know, didn't grow up with this, um, incredible pressure being placed on you early as a child, we're, even if you didn't grow up that way, we're scrolling through these expectations every day as adults So in true. in the culture that we live in. Like no one is exempt from this. Like no yeah. one's exempt from the pressures. Um, you know, we're faced with them from every angle, every single day. And I I would like to go out on a limb here and say that it's turned up a notch for women. You know, women are expected to be everything to everyone and to look amazing doing it. And there is this absurd pressure that we are having to fight falling into every single day, you know? And so Mm -hmm. this, I feel like this message is relatable on any level, you know, and whether or not you grew up in a similar, you know, in a similar way that I did, like the reality is we're all being faced with it now, you know? Yeah. It's It's so true. It is overwhelming. You talk a lot about that, like false expectations that we have on ourselves or that people have placed on us or that we've, you know, maybe placed on ourselves. And I love how you talk about, like, you kind of gave like some, I guess signs in your life that you could see now of like how hard you were trying, like how hard you're trying to prove yourself, how hard you were trying to be a certain way. What would you say to people out there who are, have those false expectations? Like these are some of the signs that maybe you're trying too hard. You know, maybe you're trying to force something that that isn't there. <laughs> right. That's such a good question too. I think my best piece of advice would be if you are in a relationship and whether it's a dating relationship or maybe a relationship with a family member or a friendship, just any kind of relationship where someone is telling you 
who you are or that you have to change certain aspects of yourself to be accepted in that environment, Mm -hmm. that's a red flag. Get out. You know, that's not a relationship that is, that's healthy. You know, if if you are having to make concessions um, and adaptations to yourself, it's, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because something's Mm -hmm. wrong with that other person and they have things that they need to deal with on their own, having nothing to do with you. Our identity isn't found in all of these things and all of these hats that we wear as women. And, you know, we're, we're wives, we're mothers, we're speakers, authors, artists, friends, daughters, like, and that's all pieces of the puzzle that make up who we are. But ultimately our identity is found in who your creator made you to be, which if you start taking things about you and Mm -hmm. changing them, you are changing who God actually intrinsically designed you to be, you know? And I just, my encouragement would be step into relationships and friendships that speak into that, you know, that version Mm -hmm. of you, that you are honing that identity that you are in Christ, like find people who will lift you up there and support you and hold you up, you know, stand behind you and hold you up when you, when you can't do it. And I think, you know, those are the relationships that we need to be looking for because life is really hard. You know, life is really hard and we were never meant to do it alone. Like we were built for community. We need community. We need help. That's right. I love that. I love you. You had a great revelation in the book where you kind of realized that you kind of placed this guy as God in a sense. And honestly, I've been in a relationship that was the same way. And I think sometimes like that's where that like lack of um, understanding who we are comes from is because like when we look at God, like God, our creator, and then we think about who we are, then we know we're loved, then we know we're good, then we know we're worthy, we know we're enough, we know all those things because that's who God is. But then when we look at someone else as our God, and that's our, you know, that's who's telling us who our identity is, then all of a sudden we're not enough, and we're unlovable, and, you know, we're not worthy, and we're not beautiful, and all those things because we can't live up to this expectation or even the comparison that maybe that person has put on us um, who's not God, who's not our creator, you know? And so I do think you have to be very careful on who you put on the throne of of your life, you know? And I noticed that you had talked about that and I had been in the same uh, position as you at one. One thing that you talked about was, and I thought this was so good because this is something that so many fall into and I've been here too, is y'all kind of started to dabble on uh, across the line a little bit whenever it came to like your sexual purity and stuff. And y'all were very interested in going further and all of these things. And you started asking yourself like these questions of like, wait, is this sex? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is what I'm doing? And I love how you said like, there was a lot bigger questions than just, is this sex? And I've like, I have done that. And I feel like people in the church do that. It's because like you think, like oh I'm not supposed to have sex and so then you're just asking yourself like wait is this but in doing that you're actually missing the heart of why God said that in the first place and so can you share a little bit about your experience in that and what you know now versus what you knew then yeah and I mean this is this is the really hard part of the story you know this is the part that for a decade of my life I didn't talk about because there's so much shame around Mm. sex and um sex Mm. is really complicated it wasn't ever meant to be complicated right like god designed it as this gift to us and we have complicated it you know Mm. humanity it's it's Mm -hmm. messy sex is messy and um ultimately the more of myself that i gave away to that man while i was in college and i'm not even talking sexually i'm just talking like i you know, push friends out of my life because he wanted me to, you know, adapt and adapt to his friends. And so I did that. And, you know, um, I kind of systematically pulled all of the people and the voices and influences out of my life slow enough that I didn't recognize it happening in real time. You know, it was, I was far too deep in the relationship before I recognized what was happening. You know, and it was all part of an ultimate plan to gain full and utter control of me. And he ultimately, he got that. 
you know, and it reflected that Mm. same mentality that he had over me in every other area of my life just kind of bled into our sexual life too. You know, like what happened, the reality was the only time I felt Mm. seen by him was behind closed doors when we were alone. And, you know, I had told myself Mm. these lies that if I gave him what he wanted and what he was pushing me for in the bedroom, that he would eventually he would love me. Right. That that is this lie that I bought into. He'll come around, you know, he'll start showing you more affection and care um, in public if I give him what he wants in private. And, you know, I mean, hindsight is always 2020. I obviously know looking back at that poor broken girl. um, I hate that she believed those lies, you know, but I did. I did at that time. And so, like I said, I had not really been down any sexual roads with any other guys much. I had very little experience before this relationship. We'll just put it that way. Um, And Mm -hmm. he pushed me, I mean, a little further every time. And ultimately, uh, what I came to know later, and I'm talking like a year and a half after I got out of this relationship, um, after I moved to Nashville, from, I'm originally mm-hmm. from Illinois. After I moved to Nashville to do music here, I had gotten an, an opportunity to audition for a girl group here. Um, I didn't have anything else going on in my life at that time. So when I moved here, um, or when I came to audition, I made the group and moved here six weeks later. And I was hoping that I could hit the restart button, like just reset this whole thing. Um, nobody knew about that relationship when I moved here. Nobody knew my past. Nobody knew what I had been through. And so I was hoping to just kind of be able to turn the page when I moved to Nashville and start over. Um, But the reality is, and we all know this, um, that what you don't deal with in the past catches up with you in the present, right? Like if you have trauma, undealt with trauma um, that happened in the past, it will come back. It will resurface and you will be forced to face it at some point. And that's exactly what happened after I moved to Nashville. Like the reality was, what had happened with us sexually in the bedroom in that relationship haunted me for a year and a half after I'd gotten out of the relationship because I had never Mm. shared it with anyone because I felt so much shame and guilt around it. And I felt like it was my fault. And why did, why couldn't I have gotten out? Why didn't I just say no? Like, why didn't I physically push him away from me? Like I asked myself these questions and blamed myself for not having done them in that relationship. And the way that it all came to me once I moved to Nashville is that I was such a broken person, so desperate to be loved and to figure out who I was. I was a shell of a person. So I I fell into the wrong crowd. I found alcohol for the first time. And I found that when I drank, everything hurt less. Everything felt numb. You know, mm-hmm. and I wasn't dealing with anything. I was numbing everything. Mm-hmm. I was medicating this giant root of a problem in my heart that I could not face at that time, you know? And so I started mm-hmm. making these awful yeah. decisions after I'd moved to Nashville. And I was staying out all night and I was bouncing around from, you know, party to party. And I was with a guy who treated me really poorly here, even because when I, moved to Nashville, I was like, you know, I don't, I'm never going to enter into a serious relationship again because I can't subject myself to love. Like I'm not worthy of it. So I'll just go mess around with guys who I know won't love me because I'm not worthy to be loved at this point. And anyone actually knew what I've been through, no one would love me anyway. You know, that was what I believed about myself. And so one night things got really bad and my manager called me and he was like, Kelsey, we can't keep you here. If you are going to keep staying out all night, like this, this is not going to work for you. You will have to go home if some things don't change and quick. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do better. I can do better. I know I can. And I didn't. I did. And one night, wow. I was out driving super late at night. It was pouring down rain in Nashville. I mean, like pouring and I was avoiding going home because the girls, I lived with the girls in my band at the time and they all hated me because I was crazy. I mean, I was wild and I was living this 
destructive lifestyle and they were afraid that I was making all of us look bad. And I was, you know, so they, they made it very clear. You are not welcome here and we don't want you in the group. They were pushing to have me mm. removed from the group. And so in this weird in between period, I was just trying to stay away from the house till I knew everyone would be in bed and I could just kind of sneak in and go to bed and not face it. I was constantly in like avoidance mode. And I get this call from my dad Wow. Um, in this torrential downpour that I'm driving at night by myself on these back roads of Nashville. And um, my dad became one of the ones on the other side who was yelling. And um, I know looking back, especially now as a parent, he was so desperate for me to turn my life mm-hmm. around um, that he, he finally, he reached his breaking mm-hmm. point too. Was like Kelsey, this is not who we raised you to be. I don't even recognize wow. you anymore. You you are throwing your life away. You're throwing your life away. Why are you? Oh my gosh, what are you doing, Kelsey? Wow. Please. And I mean, he's screaming at me, and I'm sobbing, and I, I can't tell him this thing in my life that I had been through in that relationship because I just I couldn't even say the words out loud. And he hung up on me that night, wow. and I was like, I had this moment, and I. Still have such a hard time getting through this part of the story because it's like as a parent mm. like my dad's desperation for me um I imagine mm. that being Collins my daughter you know and how devastating it would be and I threw mm. my phone to the, the passenger seat and I don't know that I consciously made a decision in that moment uh to do what happened next but I didn't stop it. I, I had this moment where I was like, I can't mm. do this anymore. I can't wow. be here anymore. I can't be in this place where no one knows. Mm. No one knows what I've been through. No one knows what I've been dealing with. No one knows this big dark secret that I have carried around for a year and a half. No one knows. And no one loves me enough. And I felt I had this moment. And again, all of these things happened in fractions of a second. You know, I saw this pair of headlights coming down the road toward me, but they were a long way off. And I was coming up to this, this bridge and there were guardrails on either side. And I just felt my car slowly going over that center line. And I, I didn't stop it. And I was like, this could be quick, this could be easy, and then it could be over. And I'm veering over this line. I can't see. I'm crying so hard. And some, oh my word, this phone call, it was divine timing. I hear my phone buzz again. And I look over, and it was my dad. It could not have been more than like 30 to 60 seconds from the end of the other call to the time that he called me back. And I almost, I almost didn't pick up because I couldn't be screamed at again. And for whatever reason, I reached over and I grabbed my phone and I picked it up. And the person that I had ended the call with a minute before compared to the person that had called me right back were two different people. Something divine happened in him too in that 60-second window of time. And when I picked it up, he was sobbing. And baby, baby, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Baby, where are you? I'm so sorry, Kelsey, please like pull over. I know. Where are you? Are you okay? And I jerked the wheel back into my lane. And about that same time, that car that I had seen way down the road passed me and I pulled over and my dad was like, Kelsey, help me help you. I am your daddy. I want I want mm. to sit in this space with you, but you have to let me in. You have to let me in. Mm. And so that was kind of, that was one of those mm. moments that I, I call a movie moment because it's a moment frozen in time, like a snapshot in my brain of a moment that changed and altered the entire trajectory of where my life was going, you know? And so at that, that very next wow. morning, I agreed to show up at a counselor's office. Like my dad had contacted my manager. My manager called someone in the middle of the night. Like she's 
not okay. We need someone to see her tomorrow, like first thing in the morning. So he made space for me. And I went and that, that meeting was the beginning of a very long, hard, painful road to healing. But that was the start. Like that was, that night was rock bottom. And then the very next morning was like, the sun poked its head through just for a moment. I was like, maybe there is hope for me. Maybe what I can have on the other side of all of this is a chance at living true to who I am and knowing that that's enough. Yeah, so I think for me, this first time sitting in counseling, you know, being able to be heard and known and given a safe space to just kind of like start to take these steps toward healing. It was for me the first time that I was starting to figure out who I was. I mean, for the first time in my life, I was like 23 or 24 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the chance to look inside myself and really ask, who are you? Who did God create Mm -hmm. you to be, Kelsey? And I mean, it, it gets better from this point. The story actually does finally get better. And several weeks in to counseling, we did go back in time. And my counselor told me, Next week, you're going to come into this room and you're going to sit here. We've established a trust relationship. You know that I'm for you. And we're going to talk about what happened with your relationship in college. Wow. And I was like, no, no, we're not. <laughs> you're like, no, thank you. We have to flip over that part because I cannot do it. And he was like, wow, you can and you will. And you will be okay. You will be okay. And I was like. No. So I went home that day and I promised myself that I would not go back the next week and I would not tell him what I had been through. And of course, God was preparing me that whole week. Even if I drug my feet in the sand, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I can't live there again. I cannot revisit the past. I cannot go there. Um, I walked into his office that day and I sat down and he was like, Kelsey, I need you to start at the beginning. And I felt, I felt this tangible peace come over me. Mm-hmm. And I found a spot on the floor. And my eyes never left that spot for the entire hour that I sat there. And it was like, once I started telling him the story, it just was like falling out. It was like all that I'd held so tightly for that year and a half of my life all of these secrets, all of this pain. The minute I opened the door to let it come out, it was like flooding out of me and I couldn't stop it. Um, And I'll never forget, um, I'll never forget what happened that day because I, my eyes never left that spot on the floor. And I know now, again, looking back, it was because of shame. I couldn't look Mm -hmm. in the eye because I had so much shame and it ruled Mm -hmm. my life. Um, And at the end, I had remembered all the details, like they came flooding back to me and just like things he said to me and things he did to me. And I remembered them all in great detail. And I just, I couldn't believe I was hearing myself say it out loud. Um, And when I finished talking about it, I can remember there being this very long pause. I mean, silence. And it was uncomfortable. You know, I had just unloaded my deepest, darkest, most awful pain. And it was met with silence, you know, and, but I could not, I could not look up from that spot on the floor. And finally, when it got, the silence got too long, I was just like, is he still, did he fall asleep? Like what happened? And I peeled my eyes off the floor. And when I looked up at him, he just was sobbing. And I I had this, like this moment where I was like, Oh gosh, I'm, are you like, are you okay? And he's like, no, just give me a minute. Wow. And I sat back and he said, I mean, with tears rolling down his cheeks, then I'm crying because I don't know why he's crying and I'm feeling wow. emotions. Of You're like, I'm the one that's supposed to be crying. <laughs> yeah. And he looked at me and he said, Kelsey, I need you to hear someone say this. I am so sorry. Wow. To you. Because he probably never said that and he probably never will. 
and you need to hear mm. them say that they are so sorry that that happened. Wow. And he was like, and the second thing that I'm going to say, um, you're not going to like, but you need to hear it. And, okay. and he said, there's a term that we use in the counseling and therapy world to describe the trauma that you experienced with that man, and it's called rape. And Kelsey, he raped you for nine months of your life. And you mm. endured actual hell with a man who claimed to love you. And I was like, wow. no, you don't understand. Like he, And he interrupted me. No, no, no. You don't understand. And I will spend the next six weeks, six months, six years of my life, Kelsey, however long it takes, to walk you through. Like, this is textbook sexual assault victim verbiage like that you you all think it's your fault and you could have stopped it and you you know wow you could have controlled the situation differently and the reality is at that point in your life you couldn't have you could not have escaped if you wanted to you he had full complete control of your life you had given him every piece that there was left to give up to that point and I, I mean, he wouldn't let me argue. So I just, I listened. And I walked out of his office that day. And I survived. You know, I survived telling the thing wow. that I swore I would never tell. And, um, you know, we worked through all of that for months to come. And eventually I was able to sit down with my parents and tell them for the first time what had happened and what I'd been through. And, I mean, it was awful. But it was also mm -hmm. so healing to be known. Wow. For the first time in so long. Like, and this, every time I, I noticed that every time I told the story and the more often I told it, the less power it had over me, you know, yep. the less shame I lived in surrounding yep. it. You know, I, it was just very freeing to let that piece of me go and to know that mm. I was loved even there. I was loved yeah. by my parents when I was known, you know, I, wow. I let them in and they still loved me. Wow. I couldn't believe it, you know? Wow. And of course, you know, as a parent now, I think, why did I think that my parents would love me differently or see me differently? But you know, you, speak right. that. you believe these lies when you've been through something awful and traumatic like that. Um, and I guess looking it's back, beautiful. I can see you know, it was a pattern in my life. And that relationship happened because I bent to the will and the expectations of everybody around me from the time that I was a little girl. And so my yeah. prayer for this book and actually coming to a place where I felt like I was ready to tell this story and I'm like the most public of ways, you know, and, and a, a promise that I had told my mom years ago, I will never tell this story. I will, you know, it, it, outside of my very close Right, right. Your circle. Yes, I will never tell this story because it still, it still did have, I still did have shame and guilt at that time. But I have moved past that. You know, the thing about trauma is it's always there. You can work through it. Yeah. And find healing. But sometimes it resurfaces in weird ways. And then you just know, I've worked through this before and I can revisit it again, you know, and, and then I can move forward again. You know, that's, yeah. that's, the wow. thing. and again, my hope and prayer for this book is for the women reading it. I want to take, I want to like take a dynamite blaster to the stigma <laughs> of the world. The things that we don't talk about, the things that we hide in shame over because we think that people will see us differently or people will think differently mm -hmm. of us or we'll lose clout or we'll lose right. know, all of these things. Like those are lies. The more that we confess what we've been through. And this is biblical. Like there is power in confession. Why? Because all of a sudden we're known and still loved mm -hmm. in that space, you know, and it loses power over us. And so that's, that's what I want for this book. I want people to read it and feel like they're having a conversation with me. And I've told them all of my deepest, darkest secrets to empower them to feel the freedom to do the same. You know, yeah. I want to take a step in bold faith and say, I'm not ashamed of my past anymore. I was mm. for a long time. And I thought that I would always be attached to it and that it would mm -hmm. always be a label on me, you know? But the reality is that part of my life is in part what made me who I am today. 
And as a mom, yeah. my daughter, I need her to know. I need her to know what yeah. happened. And I need her to know that you are never too far gone. You you are never yeah. too far from God to be pulled back in, you know, to be, yeah. to, to find your identity in him. Like that is the thing mm-hmm. that, I, that was missing in my life the whole time, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. Like your story is so real and so relatable to so many. Unfortunately, that that is so many people's story that, you know, it starts out with these false expectations and trying to be someone that we're not. And then we get into relationships we shouldn't be in. And then, you know, we're hurt. And so we turn to drinking or we turn to whatever other numbing mechanism it is. And it's like, the, the story of, you know, kind of giving yourself away of losing yourself. But I love how you talked about there's that moment. And I know that was so hard to, to bring up, but I thank you for bringing that up where you wanted to just drive off the road because that would have been easy. And I've honestly had that same moment in my life. I was um, coming out of a really bad relationship as well and very similar to you. And I remember driving and thinking I could just do this right now and it would be easy and I wouldn't have to think about it. And, you know, just wanted to to make that decision, but I didn't. And I feel like in that moment, God just kind of really brought my perspective way bigger than just my little circumstance that I was in in that moment and showed me a bigger picture in my life. And I feel like for you, like your father was able to do that. He was able to say like, I can help you. Like there is hope here. Like you're not too far, whatever, whatever has happened, like I'm in it with you. And when you felt that, like you made a decision and that decision was hard and you had to go to counseling and it was hard and you had to talk about things you didn't want to talk about, but now you're married and you have three kids and you're doing what you love to do and you've written a book and you're helping people out of it and it's just just this beautiful testimony and so I'm so glad you shared that because there's someone today listening who wanted to take that you know steering wheel off you know today yesterday last night and they're like wow there might be hope for me you know here's two women who have said that and felt that and believe that we were too far gone but yet God's still doing something with our story and God can still do something with your story wherever you're at in your life I love there was a quote that you said in the book and it said 100% of me wanted to pursue God and 100% of me wanted to hide from God and I think maybe that might have had to do with your past of like well I'm not good you know I don't feel good I don't feel worthy I don't feel all these things so like, I can't possibly relationship with God but then the other part of you is like but I do know that God's good and I do know that God's loving. And if I can only have that and now here you are like with the Lord. And so what would you say, just kind of a last piece of advice, like directly to the person who's like, they've messed up, they've gone too far, they're living in shame. And then 100% of them wants to believe that God is for them. But 100% of them also wants to actually hide from who God is because they have, they're just feel like they've blown it. I think what I would say to the girl listening to this or, or the guy, whoever, whoever's listening, you're not alone. You mm-hmm. are not alone. The world wants you to think you are and you're not alone. And you, like, like the thing that I wish I had known, I mean, from the jump of my life, right, is that I was already loved by the creator mm-hmm. because I was his. Yeah. Period. Period. I was already good enough because I was a child of God. Like the thing about it, and now you know, you're a mama, you know, like the thing that changed inside of me and the thing that really started to shift my perspective of God is when I became a mother. Because what happened was I opened up this whole new world of love that I never, I didn't know existed before I had it, you know, and I look at my children, each one, and I mean, Sadie, I know you know this because you are a mom. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing that your baby girl could do in her life. Nope. Nothing that would change the way that you love her. There is nothing. There is nothing that she could, she could walk away from you. She could curse your name. She could say, I want nothing to do with you, mom, for the rest of my life. And your love for her would remain. (laughs) That's so, so and true. we are only capable of a human love. So how much more does God right. feel that kind of love for you, for me, for That's the right. person listening to this? It is, it's a love we can't even wrap our minds around. 
So if you know intrinsically you are already loved that way because you belong to God, suddenly there's this shift that happens in you. You're like, I'm already loved in all of my mess today. The way that I'm showing up, I don't have to show up as any version of myself, but the one that feels true to who I am. And I'm already loved in that space. It changes your entire perspective of God. Suddenly you're like, Mm -hmm. I am worthy of love and I'm worthy of being treated well. And I'm worthy of good things coming to me. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of all of these things that I didn't believe I was worthy of until I understood for the first time God's love for me. Like it changed, it shifted. Mm -hmm. It was this cataclysmic like explosion in my brain and in my heart. When I became a mom, I was like, oh my gosh, if I can love my kids this way, how much more can God love me? That's right. You know? And so that would be my, that's that message right there. Like if you hear nothing else that I said today, would you all, would you know this, that you are already fully, recklessly, and utterly loved by God. If you do nothing different in your life, if you don't become what the world tells you that you have to become, but you just, you just are loved because you exist. That is my prayer for this book and for the message behind it. You are already loved by the one who created you. Amen. Amen. I echo everything she said that you're not alone and that you're already wildly loved. I love that you can't even comprehend um, you're that loved. And so Kelsey, thank you so much for saying the things that are hard. Thank you for sharing your story whenever it was probably really hard to write down on paper and relive again. But it's waking people up to where they're at and know and, and reminding people that there is hope and there is life beyond the hardest day that you have. And there is life beyond the biggest mistake that you've made. God is still for you. He still loves you. He's still with you. And um, I'm excited. So people, if you haven't read it yet, go get over it by Kelsey Grimm. It's so great, so real, so relatable. And you can come as you are whenever you read it and feel so seen and so known. And so Kelsey, thank you for being on the podcast. Such good advice, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me, Sadie. It's been an honor.